0: Before we read our scripture for the day, sometimes uh, life events occur or seasons occur where you feel the need to share or feel called by God to share. And so I want to share just some, some thoughts with you, if I may, for just a moment. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day in August of 1963. Now, I'll just share with you, that's the year before I was born. And I say that to say this. It means a long time ago. At the March on Washington, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous and powerful I Have a Dream speech. Where he laid out the vision for the Civil Rights Movement and for this dream that someday human beings would see each other as brothers and sisters. It's sad that today, 2018... This vision is still a dream. By now, it should be a reality. But we have been reminded over the past week that it is not. It must break the heart of God to hear people speak of others who God so dearly loves with such disregard. When we fail to see other human beings as human beings, as brothers and sisters, we do not see as God sees. And we have to call it what it is, sin. Paul makes it clear in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Peter proclaims in Acts 10.34, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right... Is acceptable to him. Over my years of ministry, I've had the sacred privilege of traveling to so many countries, and and I've been in some very remote areas. And every place that I have been, God was already there. And I've been blessed to meet people of so many races and languages and cultures. Some had wealth. Others were in desperate poverty, but each one of them, however, were divinely created in the image of God, and I am blessed to be considered their brother in Christ. Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, For this to occur, we must see others as human beings that God so dearly loves and remember that Jesus Christ died for the whole world and not just for us. Mother Teresa challenged us to see in each person we meet Jesus Christ Himself. We grew up singing. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray for your grace and for your forgiveness. Help us to name our own prejudices and to repent. Teach us to see others as you see them and to love our neighbors. We pray for our world and for our nation and for our leaders. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture this morning is actually a proverb. It's a very short proverb, but it's one of my most favorite scriptures. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Proverbs twenty nine, eighteen, Where we read. Where there is no vision. The people perish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now, as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's hard to believe, but in just a couple of weeks, the end of January, I will complete my 10th year as your senior pastor, and February 1, begin my 11th year in ministry with you. Now, I'm glad you applauded at that part and didn't wait to go. So is he saying it's, it's over? has been a privilege to be in ministry together and over the last several months as we've been thinking about moving from 10 to 11 what does that mean and what is the next level for this church what is the what is God's vision for this church and where is God taking this church to be and our staff parish relations committee has been wrestling with it as as I've been seeking to discern with them and our, our lay leadership teams have been wrestling with it with it as we've been discerning together and our clergy have been wrestling with it. Our staff leadership team has been wrestling with it. And, and, and I've asked the bishop to wrestle with me with it as well. So we've had lunch together a few times looking at you know, what is God's vision and God's dream for this church in the future? And as I look back over the last 10 years, I, I have a tendency to place the the. The history of this church or my relationship and ministry together with you in, in three phases. And phase one was, was that original phase of healing and, and recovery. It, it was a, a challenging time. The church had gone through uh, some crisis situation, and, and it was a painful time. And I, and I will confess to you very honestly, it, it was the most painful time of my entire ministry. And, and it was about the only time I'd ever got to the point of really considering do I want to do this anymore? Or do I want to leave the ministry? But but God got us through that time, and we've gone through a time of recovery. We've gone through a time of healing, and, and God has been doing some amazing things. So the second five years, we've been looking at, well, how do we gear up for ministry? How do we structure for ministry and position for ministry? And, and it's been amazing to just kind of see how things have occurred and and we now have a ministry, for example, in Monroe, where they've just wrapped up finishing a bilingual, multicultural worship experience. That's part of this church's ministry, and 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 we just I just left the ten ten service because well then we we were growing to the point that that we couldn't put everybody in the nine thirty service, and if if we take the nine thirty and the ten ten and try to put them together, we don't have a space big enough. Praise be to God for that. God's doing some amazing and. And great things. So we've been looking at structuring and forming and staffing and getting us ready. Well, now we're at the threshold. It's phase three time. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, one of our options is to go, yep, we're rolling all right right now. I mean, we're a little light today. I'll just go ahead and tell you. But other than that, we're, we're rolling all right. We're just, we can just kind of bring in about what we lose out. We'll, we'll just kind of do all right. But as much as I read the scripture, I can never see where maintenance is God's mission. So what is the next level? What is God's vision for this church? And and who is God calling this particular church to be and, and to do? So I love this scripture because, again, it says where there is no vision the people perish. Now, if you actually get into that Hebrew and and kind of break it out a little bit and you look at some other translations, the scripture is where there's no prophecy. In other words, it's not our vision, but a vision from God, a prophetic vision that God is expressing, that God is showing us who does God want the church to be in. So some translations actually translate it where there is no revelation. The people perish. In other words, what is God revealing for this church? Eugene Peterson paraphrases the scripture, and and a paraphrase is different. It's it's actually taking the scripture and putting it into everyday language. But in the message, Proverbs 29 18, he paraphrases the scripture this way He said, If if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, They are most blessed. So the challenge for us then as a church is to discern God's vision. What is God's vision for the church? Our our task and challenge then is, is to pray Jesus' Garden of Gethsemane prayer where we pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Because if if we're not careful, we'll get our agendas in the way of God's agenda. And I'll just tell you what I've learned over the years in ministry. Some of the things I've learned, one of them is that that my will and God's will are not always the same, but God's will always turns out better. So the challenge is to discern what is God's will and put aside my agenda and, and, and the way it always has been to see rather what God is calling it to be. What does it mean then to be faithful? That's the question. What does it mean for this church to be faithful to God and God's vision? That's what we're praying about. It's what we're wrestling with. And and I think for us to be able to discern faithfully, we have to then also step back and go, well, what is the purpose of the church? And and what is is God calling a church to be anyway? And and one of the tasks that we need to understand is, is that the church belongs to God. I love, I love the scripture in Matthew chapter 16 when, when God is asking... You know, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And then he asks the disciples in particular, who do you say that I am? And finally Simon speaks up and he goes, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because God has revealed this to you. And I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name to Peter, which means little rock. But upon this Petra, this rock of faith, this understanding of who I am, I'll build my church. And I love that. Jesus says, I will build my church. You know what that means? I will build means that it's a divine institution. This church is not called to be a human institution. It's called to be divine. Built by God. And Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, the moment it becomes our church, we're done. I can tell you that from experience because... Nancy can share with you. And when we were 20 years old, right before we were were going to get married, they moved me. I was a youth minister and, and my plan was that I was going to stay a youth minister until I got out of college. But somewhere I'm reasoned between my sophomore and junior year of college. That I get this phone call that they want me to move to a new church. It happens to be a church in Monroe that today, divinely, coincidentally, divinely, is, is our Monroe campus. But that was my very first church when I was 20 years old. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, and, and so they, they move us there. And, and so one Sunday, you know, the district superintendent was going to come. So Nancy came down, and, uh, and, and so he was going to meet with us. And, and he came to, you know, to, to sit down with us. And, and he looked at us, and I kid you not, he said, I am so sorry you're here. That's the welcome a 20-year-old new pastor wants to get. I am so sorry that you are here. And and I thought, what are you talking about? And he goes, this is a tough church. Now, am I telling the truth? It's the truth. You can't make up this stuff. And and, and so he said, you know, this is a tough church. This is a clergy killer church. That's what he said. This church is hard on clergy. He he said, as a matter of fact, he said, you know, their whole ministry for you is going to be to put you through school. That's the only ministry they have. The only ministry they have is to put you through school. So I just want you to focus on your education. Now, if you decide you want to try to leave the church, I I will back you up. But I'm just going to tell you, it will not be easy. I mean, here I was, I was terrified. Like, how do you go home from here? I mean, you know, can I leave? And then I met her. I never believed in demon possession until I became a pastor. But I met some people that you go, "You just can't be that evil on your own." <laughs> and and I, I had, you know I had some people getting all up in my face, and there was one lady who came up to me one day, and, and she put her hand on her hip, and she put her finger in my face, and she goes, "I just want to tell you right now, you just need to understand this, you need to get a hold of this. This is my church." This is my church. I want you to know my grandfather donated the land for this church. My daddy helped build this church. And this is my church. I was here before you got here. And I'll be here when you're gone. (laughs) Which was true. (laughs) But you know, we wrestled for a while. And the church began to grow. And God was doing some amazing things. And we left. And the church continued to grow. but, But there was a group there that was unrelenting. It was their church. And they got it back. And in just a few years, it closed and was abandoned. Because the moment it becomes ours, good luck. The church is tough enough when it's divine. But it doesn't stand a chance when it's human. And and so I think our challenge is to recognize that this church belongs to Jesus Christ. And we have, we have this rich heritage and history in our church. We have a great future in this church. But only if it belongs to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And then the Apostle Paul tells us that the point of the church is we're called to be the body of Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he goes, Now you are the body of Christ. That's who you are, and individually you're members of it. And wow, that sounds good. So almost 10 years ago... I, after I'd been here for just a few months, I called a meeting of our leadership team and, you know, the church council. And we met together in Helms Hall over there on a Sunday afternoon. And we said, you know, we're not going to talk about finances. We're not going to talk about facilities. All I want us to talk about is who is God calling us to be. And we studied the scripture and worked at this. And, and we came up with the mission statement that we have today. And it, and it begins, you know, to fulfill our call to be that physical presence of Jesus Christ. Because Paul said we're the body of Christ. And man, does that sound good. Looks great on a letterhead. You put that on a bulletin, that is impressive. To fulfill our call to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. I mean what an honor. That God has called us to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. What a privilege that God has called us to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And then it hits you how terrifying it is. That our calling is to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And how humbling it becomes to know. That God is depending on us. To be the physical presence. Of Jesus Christ. And so that's our calling and that's our image. And and, and so then, you know, I, I will just, I will confess to you that, that every Sunday morning, I am just absolutely terrified. Nancy will tell you that my mood changes on Saturday nights because it'll hit me. Tomorrow morning, almost 1,300 people, about 1,300 people or so are going to show up to hear a word from God. And it's been placed on my shoulders. And, and it'll just make you nauseous. But I want you to hear the word of God. God has called us to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ to tens of thousands of people who live right around us. Now, that's an incredible privilege, but it should make us a little queasy because that's an amazing calling that God has placed upon us. And the question then becomes, how, how are we faithful? I mean, what is our task? Our task, Jesus says, is, is to go make disciples. To go make disciples... There, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And remember, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're called to be disciples of Christ. Not only are we called to be disciples of Christ, but we're called to make disciples of Christ. But for us to fulfill the vision that God has for us a church, I, I think the first thing we have to do is recognize our identity and who we are. Being, going to church is not something we do. Being the church is who we are. And, and being a Christian, it's part of our identity. It's part of our essence. It's, it's part of our being. It, it has to be who we are deep inside. To be a disciple of Christ means that I'm committed to Jesus Christ not only as my Savior who forgives me for my sins, but as my Lord who guides my life. So we're called by God. God. To be Christian, to be disciples, and to make disciples are being an identity. And and what that means is, yes, on Sunday morning we're called to be Christians and disciples, but we're also called to be Christians and disciples on Monday in the boardroom when we're at work. You're still a Christian, still a disciple, still a representative of Jesus Christ. It's why in our, our membership vows we ask the question, will you serve as Christ's representative in this world? That means wherever you are in the boardroom at work, in the family room at home, you're still a Christian. You're still a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in the classroom, no matter how old you are, you still are a Christian. You still are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you're out of town on business, even in the hotel room, you're called to be a Christian disciple of Jesus Christ faithful who God is calling us to be so so how do we do that how do we serve well you know it it, we can make things harder than they are but Jesus I think simplifies it pretty quickly I mean he was asked one time I mean what's the main thing and and every time Jesus was asked what's the main thing what's the number one commandment what's the number one thing he said the, the main thing is is that you love me with everything you've got you love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. You've got to love God. Matthew 22, 38. That's the main thing. That's why we worship the way we do. It's our opportunity to share with God how much we love Him. That's what worship is about. I mean, we join together in this place to be reminded that God has already said to us, I love you. I mean, Romans 5, 8 makes it very clear that even while we were yet sinners, God proves His love for us and that Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. God has already said, I love you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's already said it. Worship is our opportunity to say, I love you too. So when we sing the hymns, when we sing the Gloria Patras, when we sing the doxologies, when we, when we worship and pray together as the body of Christ, it's our opportunity to share with God, we love you too. And to seek to grow in our knowledge of God so that, that we can love God even more and that our intimate relationship can even grow. I mean, one of the things that I, I worry about sometimes with Christianity in today's world and, is, and especially our consumerist world is that, that if we're not careful, we tend to make worship about us. Now, I want to make sure the music is, is really good. It, it needs to be good for me. And, and the sermon, I want a preacher who can make me laugh periodically. So did you hear the one? No. I mean, I, I want to make sure that it's entertaining for me. Well, here's the thing that we have to remember as a church is that we're not the audience. We're a congregation. And we're called together to worship our God. And the moment we make worship about us, it turns from worship to idolatry. Because worship is about God and God alone. So we sing our praise to God. And, and we seek to grow in our faith. I mean, part of the great commandment of loving God with all that we have is that we're in a relationship with God, and that takes some effort. And so we seek to grow, and that's why we're doing life group open houses. And we have classes that are meeting right now and Bible studies that meet throughout the week and morning and afternoon and evening and all different times where the people of God can get together and study. And, and I was sharing at the 930 service, Marty Cook was sitting there on the front row. And I said, you know, one of my favorite days is that one day a week when I come to the office, I can't hardly find a parking spot because we have this women's Bible study that gets together and meets. There's like 40 some of them that get together right there in the fellowship hall. It, it's the coolest thing." But but I love the fact that there's one day a week where the preacher can't find a par- place to park at his own church. But you know, I'll walk a half mile if more of you want to come. Because isn't that what we're about is seeking to grow and, and, and to worship our God and to study the scripture. And, and as we were thinking about, you know, with life groups and Bible studies and classes, we started going, you know, what... What should be our goal? We should set numbers because everybody tells you you need to set a number. So what's our percentage of, of how much of the, of the congregation should we want to be involved with, you know, Bible study classes, life groups, something beyond the worship experience. And, and so, you know, you can actually connect with other large churches and you can ask them, what percentage do you have? What percentage do you have? And you can get all these averages and all these numbers and things like that. And, and then it hit me, you know, we can't do that. I mean, how do we say it's our goal that 65% of our people are involved in growing in their faith? Or how do we say, you know, is it 40%? Is it 50%? Is it 70? Is it 75? Is it 80? I mean, what does it sound like to go, we hope that two two out of three of you are growing in faith? So let's just kind of lay it out there. Let's set the goal at 100%. Is it realistic? Well, we'll leave that between you and God. But isn't it God's goal that all of us are growing in our love for him one way or another? So we'll just kind of set it at 100. Because God loves every one of us. And then Jesus always gave us a buy one, get one. And so the second commandment was that we, that we love each other. And that's, that's one of the reasons we serve the way that we do. It's the other reason we have life groups and Bible studies too is so that we can get to know each other. But it's one of the reasons why we have our our missions programs and our local missions programs right here in our own community and right down the road at our Monroe campus. And and it's one of the reasons why we do the regional stuff and why we do the foreign ministries and missions because we're actually called to, to serve and care for each other. It's why we do the care ministries for people that are going through grief or divorce or who are lonely or whatever might be happening in their lives. One of the challenges, you know, when you're in a, in a larger church and you're in an affluent community is that we go, well, you know, we budget very highly for missions, and we do. I mean, we have a, an amazing local and foreign mission budget. I mean, it's just amazing what God is doing and and through the life of this church, and we are grateful to God for each one of you and for your generosity. But we're called to incarnational ministry as well. I mean, we're not only called to make an offering to those who are hurting and those who are poor and outcasts, but we're called to get to know them, to hold their hands and pray with them, to rub elbows with them, to eat at the same table with them and share life together. You know, God teaches us that in, in the fact that when God came to us, he came to us. John 1 teaches that, that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It actually means he pitched his tent among us. It means he's, I'll live where you live. I'll, I'll live with you I'll walk with you. I will share life with you. And if we're called to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ, then when we love each other, that simply doesn't mean that that we sin to you, but we live with you because ministry is incarnational. It has to be people to people. So as we look at who God's calling us to be, we've got to be in relationship, genuine relationship with others. And, And then Jesus said one final thing. There's the great commandment, there's the second great commandment, and then there's the great commission. Matthew 28, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for you and for them is that they may be saved. But then he starts scratching his head a little bit, and he gets to verse 14. He goes, But how are they to call on one in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe... And one of whom they've never heard. And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless someone is sent? Got good news for us. You're sent. Because Jesus said, go, make disciples. He did not say, gather together and make sure the doors of the church are unlocked so if people come in, you can welcome them. He actually said, no, go. You go and make disciples. I came to you, you go to them. So our challenge is to make disciples. Well, I know I'm running out of time. So one of the things I've learned over the years too, being in ministry by having great leaders and lay leadership in the church, you know, some are coaches and some are executives and some are performance people and you know, you, you've taught me a lot over the years. And, and one of the things that I've learned is, is that when you're presenting something, you should always ask, if I were against this, why would I be against it? And if we were to try to lay out a vision or something that God's calling us to do, what are the blocks, what are the, you know, the roadblocks, who are the blockers, and you know, what are the things that we need to deal with? And so I started thinking about what are the obstacles for us being who God's going to call us to be. And, and I started you know, trying to make a list. But you know what number one on the list was? Us. I mean, I really think that the greatest obstacle to us fulfilling God's vision is us. I mean, God has all kinds of power and ability, but God's calling on us to be the physical presence. He's calling on us to be the body of Christ. So we're the greatest potential obstacle. I think that means that we really have to look at ourselves and examine and ask ourselves, what is my commitment and my passion? to be in a covenant relationship with God and to live as the people of God and to be the church that God has called us to be. And it's, it's something that, that I've been wrestling with, with our clergy, you know, what is our commitment? What is our passion? And, and what is the next level for each of your ministries? And, and it's something we've been working with, with our staff leadership team is what is your passion? What is your commitment? And what is, what is our commitment to the next level to be the people that, that God is actually calling us to be? And so now I ask you as the congregation, the same question that we've been wrestling with is, is what is our commitment, what is our passion, and what is our commitment to be the people that God has called us to be as the church? You know, as I, as I was looking at this list, too, you know, one of the other things that, that came to my mind were our facilities, although, you know, you go, isn't it about the craziest thing you've ever heard, our facilities? I mean, we are so blessed as a church. When the bishop and I were talking, as I shared with you a few weeks ago, we were talking about... You know, how blessed this church is. I mean, how many other United Methodist churches in the Charlotte region have 23, 24 acres all together on this side of the road? On this side of the road alone, we have 23, 24 acres of land. I mean, that's just almost unheard of. I mean, we have this beautiful sanctuary, education building, got a family life center, the youth center. I mean, when we moved here, it was between our sons sophomore and junior year of high school. And you will not win father of the year if you do that to your kids. But but when I saw the youth center, I mean, one of the things when I came home, I said, but you got, you got to know that the youth center is absolutely incredible. And I mean, the place that's designed for youth to be in ministry and to grow in faith, is, it's absolutely unreal. I mean, we are so blessed in this church. And, and, and I mean, we have over 400 children on this campus, on this side of the street alone during the week. I mean, it's absolutely amazing between our preschool and our academy. God is doing some incredible things. We have ball fields now behind the family life center the other day i came by and all these children were on uh, out there on the backyard you know just playing and throwing balls and frisbees and all kinds of stuff and it was just so great it's it's opened up our doors for our sports ministries where you know through upward and other we're able to bring people onto the campus of this church and and they get to hear a message of jesus christ while enjoying a time of fellowship and sports together and it's just an amazing thing so we are so blessed here and then just go across the road to the original campus and there's another six acres over there i mean Right here in downtown Prime Weddington. And and over there, that's where our offices are, and the Fellowship Hall, where we have Bible studies that occur. Many of our support ministries occur, our scouting ministries and other things occur over there. Our mother's morning out's going on over there. and, And there's just something going on over there all the time. It's amazing. But then just go to the traffic circle, and on that corner, there's another six acres. Where the little brick house is that, where our youth minister lives and the white house beside of it called the Hemby House where we, we have Bible studies and life groups and meetings and all kinds of things that are occurring in there. I mean, what a privilege to be able to have a place like that to meet. So, I mean, you start adding it all up and you're going, this church has land. We are blessed. How many other churches have that kind of land and location? This sanctuary sits on the highest elevation in Union County. You know what that means? Everyone looks up to us. <laughs> but in all seriousness you always hear location, location, location we sit right here on this major intersection on a major road and every time you stop at the light we shine a bright light through that window of Jesus right there so that everybody in this community can know Jesus is right here in your midst at all times I mean what a privilege so how in the world can that be an obstacle I mean just just consider it right down the road here at our Bonds Grove campus they're wrapping up right now and they're getting ready to have a covered dish lunch so I'll hurry up so you can get there but they just finished bluegrass worship where people joining together to worship God with fiddles and banjos. and What an opportunity. We have life groups that meet there. Another 62 kids in the preschool there. Right down the road at Monroe, we just finished up just this morning, just a while ago, that multicultural bilingual worship service. We have life groups that meet there. Homework help to help the kids with their homework when some of their parents struggle with the language barrier to be able to help their kids, and ESL and multicultural experiences. And right over here at our little Marvin campus, we we have a care center and counseling center, and and, and putting another counselor over there to be able to help people through their crisis of life. So how did I list that as an obstacle? (laughs) Believe it or not, with all that stuff, we're out of room. I mean, did you know that we we turn closets into classrooms? I mean, Jesus did water to wine. We do storage in the (laughs) classrooms. And then we bought pods and put them beside the building to put the storage in the pods so we could put the people in the storage. And, And did you know that in this whole campus, this whole 24 acres on this side of the road, there's only one classroom that's designated for adults. But we're trying to launch more life groups and Bible studies and other things, but you know that the challenge that goes with that is it's hard to raise Christian children if we can't raise Christian parents. So we've got to have a spot. And it's hard to raise Christian youth if you can't help nurture Christian parents of youth. And, and so, you know, what does this mean for us? And, and, and how, how do we work this? And we were just talking about, you know, that, that you know, some of our worship experiences, we can't be together. And, and wow, did, did we all hear Christmas Eve? It's amazing. So God is blessing, but we've got to figure out what does that mean for the future? What does that mean for tomorrow? And, and so don't go saying, oh, did you hear that the preacher's building a building? Because did you know that if, the, if we decided today we wanted to build a building, it'd be three years before we moved into it by the time you actually got it drawn and you know, all the things that you have to do and then get it built. So don't go saying the preacher's building a building. He didn't say that. The preacher's saying we're asking what is God's vision for the future? Because if you wait till you need it, it's too late. So we're just asking. What, what is the future? What is God calling us to be? And then the final obstacle. Or it's not the final, but the final one I'll mention. There, there are issues going on in the United Methodist Church, and there's some real concern that the denomination will split in the next couple of years if we follow suit with some of our other sister denominations, and what does that mean for this church, and You know, we thought for a while, well, we just kind of need to wait and see what happens. But then it was supposed to be, you know, happen in 2016. The decisions made, that didn't happen. Well, maybe it'll happen in 2018. Well, that didn't happen. Maybe it's going to be 2019. Well, who knows? But you know what we've decided as, as the leadership of this church and the lay leadership of this church is we can't wait to be faithful. So we just need to do what we need to do to be faithful and trust that God will be faithful as well. But we're called to be the church the question is to discern what does that mean to be the physical presence of jesus christ it's an incredible honor awesome privilege but a humbling responsibility one out of three of your neighbors have no faith involvement whatsoever one out of three and they're placed under our care they're placed under our care So I just want you to know the potential for this church is unlimited. God's vision for this church is absolutely unlimited other than if we limit it. So I want to invite you to pray. Here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for God's vision. And I want you to pray that God makes it clear. I mean, one of the things when we're making big decisions as a church that I I typically do is I'll pray. And God make it so obvious that even we can't miss it. So that's what I want you to pray for. Make it so obvious that even we can't miss it. I really want you to pray for the vision of this church. And then I want you to pray for your clergy, for me and for your other clergy and for your staff leadership team. I really want you to pray. And and what I want you to do too is I want you to make a commitment that you'll pray for us before you critique us. Because we often get that upside down. So pray for us before you critique us because I will tell you, we're trying to be faithful to God. So I ask that you hold us in your prayers as we seek to discern and be the people that God has called us to be. And then I want you to pray for your lay leadership because there are so many people in this church that work night and day, but they're committed to this church. And so they work even more when they get here to try to help us be faithful stewards of all that God is doing in our midst, but to help us catch the vision and be faithful to follow it. So I want you to pray for your leadership. And I want you to pray for your teachers. I mean, right now, there are Sunday school teachers who are teaching kids and youth and adults and, and your life group leaders and, and, and your Bible study leaders. And I want you to pray for them because we're all seeking to be faithful to God. And, and then I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for you. And I want you to pray that, that God would reveal to you your commitment to the church. And, and, and this is not a stewardship sermon, so don't worry. We're not getting ready to send out pledge cards. Although, if you haven't turned yours, no. I'm actually talking about real commitment to the church. I'm talking about commitment to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ in our world. Our commitment to worship God with passion. Our commitment to intentionally grow in our faith. Our commitment to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with grace. And our commitment to humbly serve and love. That's our mission tenets. And the only thing that can hold us back from doing that is us. Because God's vision, greater than anything we can imagine. And God's power to pull it off, not a question. Our question is, can we catch it? Because... Where there is no vision, the people will perish. And if we can't see what God is doing, we will stumble all over ourselves. But if we will attend to what God reveals, we will be most blessed. Will you pray with me? God, we want to be your church. And God, we just pray that that you would help us to catch that vision. And that we would be faithful to that vision. And then, God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit like never before. That you would inspire us and empower us to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And together to be a faithful church. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Dr. House picked out a, a new hymn. We were looking at it the other day. It's printed in your bulletin. Break out, Old Church of God. It's a very familiar tune. Listen to the words. It's our call.